This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Plainly Down a Rabbit Hole, the podcast which hopes to stimulate your interest in some subject or other and then send you hurtling down the rabbit hole that is the internet or indeed our local library. Also with each programme there will be two, maybe three tracks of music. You can find all the details to links and music listings on our Facebook page which you'll find listed under Plainly Down a Rabbit Hole. The last podcast was about Rules for Life, part one. So it won't really come as very surprising that we're going to do Rules for Life, part two. Mostly, we were discussing the ten rules of life as laid out in Rutger Bregman's book, his new book, Humankind. We only managed to get through three. Well, you know what Lou's like, she talks a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't have that problem at all. Uh, Anyway, the three that we dealt with last time were when in doubt, assume the best, think in win-win scenarios, and finally, we just touched on come out of the closet, don't be afraid to do good. So this time, we've really got to get a bit of a move on because we've got seven other rules to talk about. Let's welcome Lou. Hello, Lou. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Are you healthier now? Physically I... healthier, not mentally, because we know <laughs> it's. We already know the answer to that. Um, yeah. I am. I'm doing. I'm doing very good. Oh, excellent! And you've just had a wonderful weekend. I went up to the Hawke's Bay and spent um, the weekend with my family, enjoying. My nana's 99th birthday party. A very, very special time. Yes. I really want to meet your nana. Mm. Anyway, I can't, so I haven't been invited. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, let's let's crack on, because we have got quite a bit to do here. Um, where should we start, Lou? Let's start with, actually, number seven. Right. So, number seven is avoid the news. But there is a caveat to that. Bregman isn't suggesting that we should ignore investigative journalism. Far from it. So, for example, in an interview, he said um, what, what you could do is ignore the news all week long and then get um, the Sunday newspaper, which often has um, lots of articles about what's generally happening in your given country, society, around the world. Um, over the course of a week and just read that, thoroughly read that and then don't bother <laughs> looking at any more news. How do you feel about not... Do you watch the news, first of all? Do you? No, I don't. Okay. Um, I think that uh, this idea of clickbait 
where it's just sensationalism and without the in-depth look at the whole situation, investigative journalism would be getting the full story. Yes, in-depth analysis of a a story. One of my examples of why I don't like the news, and in fact I've given up watching certainly TV news, I do listen to a bit of uh, Radio National news, but not for very long, just sort of the headlines and maybe a little bit more, more or less every day. But I don't... Well, there's several reasons I don't like it. One is that news seems to be, by definition, only bad news. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's very healthy for us. But also it's bad news that isn't even relevant to most of us. By way of an example, I don't need to know that there has been some for example, horrendous accident somewhere or other. Even if it's in, well, I suppose if it's in where I live, I might need to know that there are problems on the road. Um, you know, there's congestion. But that's not what they tell you. No, no. But if it's somewhere else, I don't need to know that. And we but, know that this happens yeah. continually, all the time, all around the world, yes. that there are sad, tragic horrific situations I think it's actually lazy journalism um, or it's because it's not funded properly so that uh, they just get news from the police or something and use that Uh, but it has no relevance to me it's I mean that's not I'm not trying to suggest that it's not really sad for the people involved and their families and so on but what good is it that I know Mm. that you know, an hour ago, there was some tragic accident somewhere. It's mm. just, mm. no. So uh, I think there are exceptions to times. There are times where you do ne- need to listen to the news, and we've experienced them in Canterbury. So one was during the earthquakes because we had to be kept up to date with what was going on. I think that was quite fair enough. And, of course, just recently with the uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic, we need to be up to date with what we need to do and and so on. But generally speaking, I think it's quite dangerous to watch the news. If you want to challenge that idea, obviously uh, Bregman has something to say about that. But the other person that you might be interested in, uh, you could Google or get his book, is uh, Alain de Botton, who wrote a whole book about the news and there's lectures uh, from him on the internet that's available. I'll probably put some links on Facebook as well. While you mull that over, I've got a piece of music for you. This is the late, great, and from quite a few decades ago now, but it's still a brilliant song. This is the wonderful Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention with I'm the Slime.
So, Lou, we're going to, we've decided actually, because we've got quite a few to deal with, I'm just going to reel off three because they're kind of, well, not exactly similar, but Relate. different sides to uh, a similar uh, basic idea. So, number three of Bregman's list is ask more questions. Number four is temper your empathy, train compassion. Number five is try to understand the other, even if you don't get where they're coming from. So, basically, I suppose it's all to do with our interactions with each other. Have you got any comments that you would like to, to make, or shall I just keep going? I, um, I love number three, um, ask more questions. The importance of understanding somebody without making the assumption, if you ask more questions you will understand where they're coming from more clearly without your own assumptions of it. This is something that I attempt to do more in my life. I value it highly. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of us are aware of the golden rule, which I always get a bit muddled, so I'll try and remember it. It's, but it's something along the lines of do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah. I used to think that that was just, yeah, of course, obvious. But sometimes we really do need to question our fundamental principles. And at some point, I heard George Bernard Shaw being quoted. 
he went against the golden rule. So why is that then? And his idea, to quote him, was, do not do unto others as you expect they should do unto you. Their taste may not be the same. Or as I like to put it, they might not like it. And I think that's relevant here because the golden rule assumes that everybody thinks the same as each other. Yeah. And that we can therefore guess what it is that somebody would like us to do. And of course, that's not true. And I do think that human beings are quite similar to to each other. Mm. But we're not absolutely the same as one another. And that's where you need uh, to ask questions. So if you want to help somebody who's in distress, you shouldn't assume that you know what they might want. Instead, ask them. I mean, another one that, that springs to my mind is there's no one way to cope with grief. Everybody's different. Absolutely. And there isn't a timeline. No. Um, when I've been um, suffering from grief, even people that should have known better gave me a year. <laughs> and yeah. when I wasn't over yeah. it in a year, yeah. their empathy waned, and, which is really difficult. And, and you have to, well, listen to what other people are saying. And if they're not saying much ask them. So I I really like the one about asking questions. So let's, moving on, um, let's address number four, which was temper your empathy, train compassion. Anything you'd like to say again, or shall I launch? Launch. Launch. Okay, oh, well, you shouldn't have said that. I'll be here forever. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I really like this one because I'm... I used to be a fan of empathy until Paul Bloom, that's B-L-O-O-M, an academic from Harvard, maybe Yale. I think it's Harvard. No, I think it's Yale. I don't know. Anyway, an academic, American academic who wrote a book about against empathy. And I think, really? Why would you be against empathy? That's ridiculous. Um, until I had a look at the book and heard him speaking and and so on. So he's got three objections to empathy. I'm not going to go into great detail. If you're interested in this, please uh, try and find him, Google him, or order the book from the library. I know there's at least one copy there. So there's three reasons. One is that empathy tends to be bias. Uh, It's also based on uh, numerical aspects. And it can be used to fuel violence in human beings. I think that one is fairly obvious. Maybe the um, numerical, I'll explain that a little bit. So we tend to, as human beings, be concerned with individuals or at least small numbers of people. But we are not so good at thinking about large numbers. So we can get like in the news, really tied up with um, one person and their anguish and something dreadful's happened, but don't take into account millions of people who might be starving. You know, it's it's sort of like too overwhelming. And uh, that comes from empathy. And the biased, I'll give you another example. This is a personal experience that I went through many, many decades ago when I was a general nurse and 
one day there was a horrific road traffic accident and sadly six children died and one adult and I went down to help out in the casualty department. While I was down there, one child had been very badly injured and a a doctor came in and very quickly decided that she couldn't help this child and went to leave. And another nurse there called her back and wanted her to do something and the doctor said, I can't do anything to save that child, but there's other children that I can. And, And she left. But the nurse that had questioned that doctor burst into tears and it became obvious that she wasn't being helpful in casualty because she was being... I mean, she had a lot of empathy, but she didn't have compassion because compassion has this element to it by definition of cognitive understanding of other people's feelings and therefore being able to have that cognitive, that rational part Mm. of you means that most of the people working there that day in casualty were able to set aside their own feelings while they coped with the aftermath of that tragic event and not to express their feelings until they had gone home. That was far more helpful for the victims and their families and and probably also for the staff whereas that one staff member had to be reassigned somewhere else and it that took up our time to sort of organize that so I suppose that's kind of what I'm talking about Lou and I think probably what Bregman and, and, and Paul Bloom is also talking about so instead of um, but all is not lost because instead of um, empathy we perhaps need to think about compassion and to make absolutely sure that we are using both our feelings and our rationality is to call it rational compassion. And it's not, you're not suggesting that we don't have empathy, you're just saying that it can be more useful at the appropriate time that you expressed your your great... Um, emotional feelings later on yeah. at, a, at an appropriate yeah. time. Well, as Bregman says, um, it's temper your empathy, yes. train compassion. Yes. So it's yeah, it's not getting rid of empathy. It's a more helpful way of yes. of dealing with the situation. Yeah. Let's move on. This is number five. Try to understand the other, even if you don't get where they are coming from. And an important note here is to say it's something to understand but doesn't mean that you are condoning. So have you got something you'd like to add about that one? Um, Obviously not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to get my head around it. So I think one example that Bregman gives is about fundamentalist terrorists who, you know, want to blow up people, including themselves, or they want to go and fight in various countries, and, and, and how should you deal with that? So, you know, the authorities and so on. And his example in the interview that we both watched was of instead of... Challenging the fundamental ideas in 
that person um, who's joining a radicalised group. It was to to question why they're joining that group and Bregman suggested that it was to do with the longing to belong and mm. the desire to feel like they are a part of something that is important. Yes, it's, it's to understand where they're coming from. The more you understand, but not condone what they're thinking of doing, programmes that, that work at it like that have much more success than ones that are more punitive. Okay, so moving on, let's go to number eight, which is don't punch Nazis. What does he mean? Well, Bregman's talking about not being self-righteous, morally self-righteous. Sometimes in arguments, and I've never done this, (laughs) by the way, just before you make a comment, Lou. Yep, right. (laughs) (laughs) I try not to do this anymore, which is more accurate. But it's more important to achieve results than it is to prove to everybody that you're right. Yes. Um, It's taken me a while to learn that. And sometimes I haven't learned it even now. And I, and I think that, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. Uh, but it's something I'm still working on. Yep. Uh, number six, love your own as others... Love their own. Oh, that's rather good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we just shared that one. <laughs> um, what do you think about that? The idea that we can't love everybody as fully as we love those ones immediately around us. Yes. It is a challenge mentally for me to consider loving everybody in the world as much as I love those immediately around me. And he's giving me permission to be like that. Okay, so we're just talking about loving people and and loving life too. So we're going to have another piece of music. This is Ian Jury and the Blockheads with Reasons to be Cheerful, part three. Listening to Rico, Harper Groucho Chico. 
Cheddar cheese and pickle, the Vincent motorcycle, slap and tickle. Woody Allen darling, Dimitri and Pasquale, bala 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 and Valari. Sunday nice to study, phoning up a buddy, being in my nutty. Saying okey dokey, sing along a smoky, coming out a chokey. John Coltrane Soprano, Eddie Chalantano, Bona Carlino. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. Reasons to be cheerful, one, two, three. Perhaps next year, or maybe even never. In which case? Such a good song. Actually, both the songs that I play today have great lyrics. So I'll try and find some sites on YouTube that not only have the recording but have the lyrics as well and it's actually quite difficult to hear all the things that Ian Jury can cite as reasons to be cheerful. Okay so we got to our final uh, one which is actually number 10 so we've ended up actually at the end and uh, so Bregman's last one is Be Realistic which he says, if anything, is the most important one because all the others are come out of, of research and evidence-based and so on. So we need to keep that in mind and, and be realistic. I like that one. Do you like that one? Yep, goes along with the Stoics um, yep. and uh, use your wisdom. Um, that's first and foremost with the Stoics. Be realistic. It's talking about, you know, if you are in town, you know, lock your car. There are people out there that will take an opportunity. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. I think it's also about being realistic from our own behaviour, that we are going to make mistakes and do the wrong thing. And even when we say that we believe in X, Y and Z, sometimes we do A, B and C. But um, that's okay just to keep trying. You have to be realistic about these things. You can't change everything immediately. It all takes time and practice. And you shouldn't castigate yourself for making mistakes. Along making mistakes, he said that if you believe that the population is of good nature, there are the odd ones that are not and that you may get taken for a ride every now and again and that is the cost of believing in the population being of good nature. You reap the benefits of having a positive outlook towards people in general but there are those times that you may end up on the wrong side of it. Well, Lou, that's very clever of you because you've just sort of sewn it all up by bringing us back to number one, which was, uh, when in doubt, assume the best. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, oh, very good. I like that. So I think we'll end there. Um, oh, I can hear the music. Can you hear the music? Oh, I can. <laughs> She's lying. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks' time, and I hope you've enjoyed today. Please go and check out the links and uh, the music listings on our Facebook page, Plainly Down a Rabbit Hole. Let's go, Lou. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.